Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55. Uh, Isaiah is pretty much right at the middle of the Bible, and you can find it uh, located uh, roughly in that place. If you need a pew Bible, there's one at the end of the pew, or should be one uh, nearby to you. We're going to look at a couple of different uh, passages, but we'll start with Isaiah 55 this morning. And let me remind us of a couple of things as we uh, begin looking at it, uh, as you turn to that passage, that we're really in the second week of a short series we're doing on the mission of our church that we believe God has called us to. That's something really we've contributed to collectively as a church body through meeting several times this summer in some combined adult Sunday school gatherings. Also, our church uh, elders, deacons, and staff have met for four or five very extended uh, meetings to, to kind of hash through a lot of that. And we continue to recognize the strategy that God has us for ministry of growing in truth living in community, and serving for the kingdom. But we also felt like God would have us to, to have a statement that takes into account those two words, glory and grace, that we've talked about as well the last few years. And to talk about that specifically in the way that God is inviting folks to come and enter into that. That that's a huge part of what we are called to as a church, is to be able to be a place that's inviting and to be inviting folks to be glorifying God by inviting all into his grace, into an encounter with him. And I brought last week, I'll see if I can use this again. I still couldn't find a smaller picture frame, so, you know, I'll keep, keep looking. I'll keep searching around. But uh, we'll, we'll use this one for today. And uh, hopefully this is helpful for us to think about. If we start thinking about this vision, the idea that our mission is what I just said, glorifying God by inviting all into God's grace, growing in truth, living in community, and serving in the kingdom, is a strategy that we have to approach that this fall, starting on September 8th or so. We're going to talk about our core values. That would be this side of the frame. And then the bottom part of it, the bottom part of it is what we might call goals, indicators, measurements, whatever you want to to use. But asking ourselves the question, how do we see in our lives? How do we know if we're making progress in the gospel, if God's doing something? How do we look at that as a church? And how do we look at that individually? The idea being that, Whatever's happening in the middle of this is really the picture of who God's called us to be, who God's invited us to be as a church family, and it's a, it's a moving picture. It's like one of those new picture frames, I guess, that's changing, you know, but it's developing the way that God desires for us too. So that's, uh, that's kind of, I know I mentioned that last week, hopefully that's helpful for y'all to get a mental idea of what we're talking about here, but we're going to spend some time this fall walking through uh, each of the components of that, so... Uh, that's that's where we're headed, and today, as I said, is just looking at that second part of the top of the frame, inviting all into God's grace. So I invite you to stand with me, if you would, as I read aloud, and you all read along silently, a passage from Isaiah that's actually, we read earlier, I added one more verse to it for our message, but we read it as our, our call to confession, I think, earlier. Isaiah 55, I'll read it aloud. We just stand in recognition of God's word, its truth, its power, its beauty. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's an illustration, a demonstration of how we can experience God freely. And this food is being used to illustrate the idea of a relationship with the Lord. Verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? 
and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Jumping down to verse 5. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel. For He has glorified you. There's that word glory again. Verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You may be seated and as you do, let me pray for us again. Father, we praise you and we worship you. We thank you that you haven't left us in darkness. You brought your word to give us light. That we need so much in our lives. And so shed light into our lives today through this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, don't usually use another passage of Scripture to illustrate and get us kicked off on our sermon. But I think today it will probably work for us. To flip over if you want to, or you can just listen along to the book of Jonah. It's a little bit further towards the latter part of the Old Testament, after Daniel and so forth, and before you get to Matthew, Mark, and whatnot. And Jonah, you're perhaps familiar with uh, the general story, but sometimes I know it's easy to forget, well, what was the point of him being inside that big fish or whale? What was the idea? What was going on with that? Starting in verse 1 of Jonah, I'll read a little bit of this story to you. And again, you might want to just sit back and and listen. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. You remember he was a prophet called by God to proclaim his word. Saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. In case your geography of the Mediterranean is as bad as mine, that's in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He's paying money for this too to get away. And went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jumping on down to chapter 2, verse 10, I think your worship guide may say, verse 19, there's no such thing in Jonah chapter 2, but verse 10, he's been on this boat, of course, and you recall the seas get rough, they end up having to throw him overboard, a large fish, a large whale swallows him. Nice try, Jonah, getting away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 10 of chapter 2, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Guess where? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. Take two. Take two for Jonah. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. That meant it took three days just to walk across it. You think about how big that is even compared to some of our 
huge cities today. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then jumping down to verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. How's Jonah feel about that? Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God, a merciful, a slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, he says, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah, interesting customer, isn't he? He's literally angry, upset that God might be interested in extending his grace to a broader group of people than just who he thinks ought to receive it. He's upset a bit that God's an inviting God, that God's a gracious God. And as we saw in our Isaiah passage, and we see certainly illustrated in kind of a negative way through Jonah here, I want us to talk about, and you can find a, a little guide if you'd like to, to our sermon, some notes section in the back of your worship guide. If you want to flip there, you can. I want us to camp out on this idea that since God is gracious, we should be seeking to invite all into God's grace. That's part of what we're called to be as believers. Now, we know God is a lot of things are part of his character. He's, he's holy. He's just he's all knowing he's all powerful but certainly one of the things that's all over the place in the scriptures is that he's gracious that that's part of his nature his character we see it illustrated in these isaiah verses we looked at just a few minutes ago don't we that he's a a god who provides for us something that we can't provide He provides for us salvation. These things that he illustrates as rich food, delightful cuisine to enjoy, wine and milk and so forth. He says you can have all of these things not by purchasing them. There's no currency in the world that can secure these things for you because we're sinful, because we're broken, because we're lost. But guess what? I'm happy to serve them up to you free. Come and and get them, he says as important as we think about God's graciousness and the free offer of it that we also keep in mind uh, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that there is actually a cost on one level to these things he said grace is free but it's never cheap and we see that back in our Isaiah passage uh, just a few chapters before Isaiah 55 that we read earlier When it describes, and remember Isaiah is writing more than 700 years before Christ set foot foot and was incarnate. He says this in verse 4 of Isaiah 53, a passage that maybe we've heard before. Surely He's borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Grace is free. Free privilege to each one of us that we can enjoy. But let's not forget how much it cost. How much it certainly cost our Savior. Certainly cost us something too, we should probably say. Jesus, you remember, reminded us that if we try to save our lives, we're actually going to lose it. And he told us that if we lose our lives, meaning we let them go and entrust them to his hands and say, I want to live for you, I want to be a follower of Christ, that something amazing is going to happen, that it will be saved. Our life will actually be changed. So there is that cost in that we must yield our life, but the benefits that we receive are totally free and we can't pay for them in any way. And all of this, I think, leads in, as we saw last week, to this idea of glorifying God. We said we're committed as a church to glorifying God by inviting all into God's grace. If you want to kind of look at the glorifying part, download that puppy from last week and you can listen to, to what we're thinking about there. But today, talking about this idea of inviting all into God's grace, I want to just pick that apart a little bit. As we've seen that God's an inviting God who's extending His grace to us. The first thing we want to look at is this idea that God is inviting and then He's therefore calling us to be those who invite others. In Luke chapter 10, and it's interesting, this is repeated in Matthew and Mark as well. So it's clear that God wants to get this one through our our thick skulls. Uh, Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the disciples, starting in verse 1. It tells about this. This is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 10, again, just... Similar passage repeated in all of the Gospels. It says, The Lord appointed 72 others. This was a larger group of the disciples that went along with the 12 that we may be familiar with. They were all sent out, this big group. And they went out two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful. There's actually a work of God going out there. But what? The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then he describes them going on their way and finding a place to get situated. And if a a home welcomes them, they should wish peace upon it. If not, they should move along. And then in verse 8, he says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is before you, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God is has come near to you. It's a privilege, really, to be involved in this process that God invites us to of inviting folks to experience and enter into His grace. And I'm sure those disciples were like some of us might feel about something like this door-to-door tonight. Number one is, uh, if you maybe lean a little bit on the more introvert side of personality-wise, 
it's a little uncomfortable, the idea of going to some stranger's door, even if you're just handing them some info and inviting them to church. And, of course, not everybody needs to come if you're, if you're really, you know, worked up about it. It's probably not the best thing for you to do. But it's interesting. God's not really concerned about whether we're the Pied Piper, the big man on campus, you know, never met a stranger. That's not his concern. A lot of times folks that are a little bit more deep relationally and kind of connect closer with a few people on that little more introverted side will have an opportunity to invite in a deeper and more sincere, more powerful way folks that they're building deeper relationships than the Pied Pipers and the, the big man or big woman on campus is, is building sort of cursory relationship with. So it's not about our personality type. That's not the issue. But what I do want us to see today is that the heartbeat of God is for us to be inviting people. And, and, and I just was so excited when I got these little cards back that so many of you turned in last week that had not only some areas of service, but had on them some folks that you all are praying for. And that was fun for me to read. And then we sent, you know, to our different church leaders, the, the folks that you all are praying for. It's just exciting to see folks that I've never met. I don't know a lot of these folks that you all know through your work, through your neighborhood, through your family that you all are praying for and for us to have an opportunity to pray with you. That, that's what we're talking about. That's part of what we'll be doing tonight. It, it is interesting, too, for all of us to receive some conviction from the, the book of Jonah, right? Because probably most of us would not go all the way with Jonah on his program. He's obviously upset with the whole concept that God is gracious. I don't think too many of us would go there. We probably like that idea because hopefully we understand that we wouldn't be able to be in his kingdom if he wasn't gracious because all of us need his grace and mercy, starting first and foremost with this guy up here who's talking. But it is interesting to look at the story and realize his reluctance, his hesitancy. He's a prophet of God. That's what he's called to do, to simply be used in a masterful plan and purpose that God has to bring these folks in Nineveh who clearly are in and of themselves would be under God's judgment, but to be able to bring them to a place where they can receive grace and mercy. We should really be cautioned by that. And so I'm so thankful that we, we have an inviting church and we're folks that are thinking and praying about people. And then when folks come here, and I've said this before, even people that I've talked to, they said, hey, you know, Cross Creek Church is just not quite my thing for whatever reason. It just doesn't, it's not where I want to plug in for worship and, and, and so forth. But who have, have said that to me, they, they almost always say, but you know what? We loved coming to visit. And we loved coming to visit because the people there were so inviting, were so welcoming. They really showed their love for us. And folks, that's going to become uh, trickier and trickier as we go through the next number of months and the next number of years, you know. This place, even in our new spot here with a little more room here, it's filling up. And it's harder to see that person that's maybe new and so forth. So I want to give you a little trick. I'm going to give you a little trick. Sometimes you say, well, give us some pragmatic stuff. Give us some practical stuff, preacher. Here's a little trick, how, how to be inviting. And we're all going to know it now, so it won't work so well. But we'll, we'll remember it over the next, next few months. If you see somebody in here that you've never met before and you think, you know, I missed a few weeks over the summer. We had some vacation and we were sick for a little bit. And I haven't been here, and I don't really know, have that, has that person been here longer than me or shorter than me? I'm not sure if I'm the invitee or the invitor. Here's what you can do, a little pastoral trick. You can just say, hey, how long have you been coming here? 
little trick. Doesn't make anybody feel uncomfortable because you don't know whether they're there for the very first time that week and you have a chance to welcome them. Uh, they might say the same thing back to you because they haven't seen you across the way yet. That's a great way to just be welcoming people, greeting people, and getting over that little hump where we maybe think, you know, I hate to welcome them. They might have been here for quite a while. But I love the fact that God has given you all as a church family to be such an inviting group of people. I think it's an outflow of the gospel. I think it's something we want to fan into flame. Well, we're not only called to be inviting, but we also believe the Scriptures teach that we're to be inviting to all. Inviting to all. Uh, just one passage that will be good to look at all the way back in Revelation. We're covering our Bible territory today for sure. Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. This is a song that apparently believers are going to be singing or are singing as they're gathered together in worship in heaven. It gives you a picture of how things are ultimately supposed to be fulfilled for the church. And they're singing to Jesus. And they say in verse 9 of Revelation 5, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals. This is the list of those who are in the kingdom of God. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. What kind of people? People that just look like maybe you and me, people from the same background, uh, people maybe same socioeconomic level, whatever we perceive ourselves to be, people that are from the same racial background or ethnic background as us, people from the same Christian framework. No. It says people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. A privilege we have not to just invite folks that have the same political views as maybe we do or the same moral views or, dare I say, the same football allegiances that we have, but to reach across those boundaries and say, God, do a work here. And that leads us to our last point, which is that we're inviting all into something, into God's grace. Because you say, wait a minute, these Folks may believe something entirely different or not believe really anything about the Lord or maybe in a whole different religious structure of Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever it may be. How is that going to work? Well, just like for you and me, we're invited to a transforming relationship. We're inviting others to that as well. Look back with me one more time at Isaiah 55 and see what it says after it describes this free offer freely given bounty that the Lord provides for us in verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 55 reminds us, verse 5, you see that it's to to all the nations that we're going. And then verse 6, that there's a response. That God's looking for us to respond as we are entering into His grace. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. None of us are meant to stay where we are when we encounter God's grace. We're meant to move into a place where we say, I want that grace to change me. I've seen how deeply God loves me and His purposes for me. I want to be changed by it. And then listen to the last sentence there. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon we bring all of these things together, I think again about a section of C.S. Lewis's 
book, The Silver Chair, that perhaps some of you have read. And, of course, with the Chronicles of Narnia movies being out, folks are a little bit more familiar even than in the past with that series. And I've probably read this section before at some point, but it's this marvelous encounter between the little girl, Jill, in this land of Narnia, and the lion Christ figure represents the Lord Jesus named Aslan. And it uh, takes place between these two. And as we conclude and think about inviting all into God's grace, I want to read this. Are you not thirsty? Said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered only by a look and a very low growl. As Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without realizing it, she had taken a step closer. Do you eat girls? She asked. I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. And you'll die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming a, a step nearer now. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have not left humanity without a solution, without a hope for our brokenness, our fallenness, and our sin. But You have provided the rich stream of Your mercy that has blessed our world throughout the generations. And we thank You that we are invited in through Your grace and because of Your grace. Because that's who You are. And we thank You for the privilege of being able to participate in inviting others into Your grace. And we do pray, Lord, that we would be delighting in You day to day. And that delight would be contagious to those around us. Because You're dwelling in our midst, because we're being satisfied, our thirst is being fulfilled by the only stream that can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.